If you want to keep Ephesians chapter 4 open, we're going to explore that chapter a little bit. We're not going to cover every section in what is a tremendous chapter of an incredible book. We're continuing thinking about the nature of gifts and what it means to serve in our church. And Ephesians chapter 4 is very, very helpful as we consider what it is to be a church what it is for Christ to give gifts to his church and what the purpose of those gifts is within the church. When we become a Christian, we enter into a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus. And in many ways, that brings us into a whole new context, a whole new set of relationships in a church community. But In Paul's mind, it's far greater than that. If you just flick back to Ephesians chapter 2, you see there it says that God who is rich in mercy made us alive together with Christ and raised us up and seated us in heavenly places. The wonder of what it is to become a Christian is to know that you need the mercy of God and to receive it. But here is what we don't often realise. That as we come to trust in the Lord Jesus, is that we're assured of salvation. God starts a spiritual work in us. A work of renovation, a work of transformation, such that the Apostle Paul can even say, in some sense now, we are seated in heavenly places. Turn back over to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. You see that the reality of becoming a Christian is not simply escaping the dangers of hell. That is true, but it's not just that. When we become a Christian, Christ becomes our head. And we are grafted into the body of that head. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 4 says that there is one body. And uh, many of us know how essential a head is to a body. Some of us are more medically minded and I think they would assure us that the head is not simply stapled on the body. The head and the body share in the same life. The head and the body share in the same circulation uh, circulation system, the same nervous system. In fact, if the head is separated from the body, the body doesn't have life, nor does the head. They are connected integrally to one another. And so, for us who trust in the Lord Jesus, for those of us who know this salvation we also have the great privilege of being grafted into this body, this this church, this community of God where the Lord Jesus is head. And this is a privilege because God not only just gives us what we don't deserve and what we don't have naturally in salvation, God also gives us what we don't have and what we don't deserve as we live the Christian life. God is giving. He's a gracious God in salvation. 
And he's a gracious God who keeps on giving all the way as he takes us home to those heavenly places. And this is important for us to realise, that as important as our salvation and as much as that is a spiritual work of God, the giving of gifts in the church is as spiritual and is as important as the very work of salvation of the Lord Jesus. I've uh, got on your outline there a definition of spiritual gifts. It's something that I've kind of nutted out as I've gone over the last three or so weeks. I've said that spiritual gifts are differing abilities given by the Holy Spirit to each believer to meet the needs of the body so that in unity they grow into the likeness of Christ. What we've seen over the last three or so weeks is that we as people have needs and God knows that and God's kindness, God's kindness to us is to give us the gifts of others. Spiritual gifts, firstly, are gifts that meet our needs. There are a number of lists of spiritual gifts uh, in the New Testament. There's one in Romans 12. There are two in Romans in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's one here in Ephesians 4. And then there's another one which we saw last week in 1 Peter 4. And those lists of gifts that are named are, are quite different. And I think the reason that those gifts are different for each church and for each letter is that at these moments, either Peter or Paul aren't trying to describe every single gift. No, they're not exhaustive. They're an illustration of the breadth of the difference of gifts that God has given. Often we reduce gifts perhaps to whoever's doing something from this lectern. But the Bible says the gifts that enrich the lives of Christians as that, but so much more than that. Gifts are the ability to communicate the truth. Uh, God gives gifts for that. And so we have people who teach and those who teach those who don't know about the gospel in evangelism. Gifts give us the ability to bear burdens. And so many of us have gifts of encouragement and gifts of mercy. Gifts promote order in our church. And so many of us have gifts of administration and wisdom. And so if there is a human need, if there's human need, spiritual, physical, psychological or relational, do you know what God does? Is he gives gifts to his church for those needs, spiritual, emotional, relational. Spiritual gifts address the needs, our real needs. Often we reduce spiritual gifts to um, just getting the job done, filling the roster. Uh, there's nothing wrong with rosters and we need them filled. It's very important. It's a, it's, it's a part of our church life, but it's one section of our church life. The New Testament is so much wider in its a view of the Christian life and the use of gifts. Some spiritual gifts that people have in this church can help heal us when we're wounded. 
Some spiritual gifts that people have in this church can encourage us when we're downcast. Some spiritual gifts can challenge us when we're lagging and correct us when we're going astray. There are many people in this church, I know, I'm looking at you now, who have a tremendous gift of love. And there are some in our church who have a great gift of teaching and can help us understand when we don't understand. You see, we come to church as Christian people, many of us, we come here, but we come with needs, lots of things going on in our lives. Gab spoke of just one in his life and uh, the life of his great auntie. There are so many things going on in our lives. And here is a beautiful thing that the scriptures present us with is that as you look around this room and the people that are in it here are the very resources that God gives us to help us address our needs. God is kind to us and gracious in our salvation, but he is equally gracious and kind to us in the process of us becoming more like Jesus. We've seen that gifts are diverse. Uh, Spiritual gifts are given to Every believer, we saw that last week in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. If you're wondering why it's called the 410 Project, it comes from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. And it says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its one form? No, it says in its various forms. There's a multiplicity, there's a great diversity, range of gifts because God has intended that. We see it in Ephesians chapter 4. If you want to have a look there, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned. Notice the language there of the kindness and the gift of God. And here it's in reference to the gifts that God has given his church in verse 7. It says, To each there Christ has given a portion of the Spirit. In spite of the fact that we are fundamentally one in Christ, earlier on in the chapter, Paul says, there's one body, there's one Lord, but at the very same time, he's given each gifts, each different gifts. When it says to each one of us, who's the us? There in verse 7, it's every Christian. Paul's not saying just those who are ministers, pastor teachers, or those who exercise leadership. It's to each he is given a portion. The Lord Jesus, in his humanity and in his divinity, had all the ministry abilities in the one person the ability to communicate the truth. He had the ability to bear burdens, to give direction. The Lord Jesus has it all, but guess what he does? He gives out of his kindness a portion of his ability to each and every person in the church. Thirdly, the goal of spiritual gifts. We've seen that The goal of spiritual gifts is the building up of the body of God's people. And you can see this um, 
in Ephesians chapter 4. You see there in verse 11, there's some more prominent gifts. In verse 11, pastor, teachers, evangelists, and prophets. But what do they do? They equip people for the work of service so that the ultimate goal for the giving of gifts is seen there in verse 12, that the body of Christ might be built up. See why gifts are given? Gifts are given so that we might rub shoulders with one another and encourage one another to look more like the Lord Jesus. And so as we serve, as we minister, and as we exercise our gifts, we do it not for ourselves, we do it for the sake of the building up of the body. That's the measure of our spiritual gifts. It's the goal, the building up of Christ's body. It's important, and I think very beautiful to realise that as we express our gifts, we're not getting a job done. That's often what gifts are reduced to. That's not the way the New Testament thinks about gifts. When we express our gifts, when we realise that God has gifted us, even though we don't feel like we're particularly gifted, he's gifted us, for the building up of our brothers and sisters here as a church. When we realise that, when we act upon it, when we see it in others, do you know what's happening? We're actually starting to see how we're a body. Uh, That's the metaphor that Paul uses quite a couple of times to describe the church. And it's it's a very rich metaphor. It perhaps is a familiar metaphor to many of us, but it's a very rich metaphor And it's a rich metaphor because the temptation is, and we see this, we saw it a couple of weeks ago in the book of 1 Corinthians, is the temptation is that we only look down. And uh, in the metaphor of the body, if we're a, uh, a foot, we find it hard to see what the hand is doing. But when we see those who, all who are gifted every single believer exercising their gifts, what we start to do is realise that we are part of this body, that although we are a foot, there are hands and there are torsos and there are legs because the reality of a Christian church is we're not just an aggregation of Christian people. We're not just a collection of Christian people who happen to be Christian here this morning. And we've all got that in common. That's what you might have in a sporting club, you've got a common interest in soccer or cricket. It's an aggregation, people with a common interest. But that's not a church. A church is so often called not an aggregation, but a congregation. An aggregation is like a, you know, a bag of marbles. I used to play marbles when I was a kid. I don't think they play these days, uh, unless they're on a screen. But a bag of marbles... What, is just held together by the bag and there's no real order within that bag. They're just slipping and bouncing off one another. There's no particular relationship they have. But the church is not an aggregation. The church is a congregation because it's a body. And it needs the difference of the hand. And it needs the difference of the leg and of the foot. And if we're a hand, we celebrate And we consider it a beautiful thing that we're carried by the legs. And if we're a leg, we see it a beautiful thing that we can pick up a cup of coffee. 
See, the Holy Spirit joins us and knits us together as a body of Christ's people for our edification. And so we don't just encourage in general, we don't just teach in general, and we don't just help in general. We exercise the gifts that Jesus has given, the spiritual gifts. And so as we teach and help and encourage, it results in Christ-likeness, growing each one of us into the conformity of the Lord Jesus. Thirdly, we see that uh, a gift is not a talent. This is often the confusion of gifts. Um, We live in a world which is very, very good at assessing capability and competency. Uh, Some of you have to sit before HR reviews. It's all about competency. It's all about capability. The problem with that is sometimes we start to think that the priority of capability and competency is what gifts are all about in the church, but it couldn't be less true. Gifts are not a competency. Gifts are spiritual gifts that aren't about the technical perfection of the skill. Gifts are gifts because they edify Christ's people, whether or not it's technically proficient. It's about the edification of God's people. And so um, in a world which is so dominated by getting things done, by talent and competence, when we speak about gifts, we're not talking about talent and competence. We're talking about the way God has built us such that people are built up and people Edified. One man has thought about this, a man called J.I. Packer. He says this, his book, very, very helpfully, he says, What constitutes and identifies a gift is not the form of the action, but the blessing of God. See, what makes a gift? A gift is God using you in the way that he has made you to help others. You can be tremendously talented naturally, But if God doesn't bless you, it's not a gift. And so we need others to exercise our gifts. You don't need talent. You don't need others for your talent, but you need others for your gift. And that's what, in many ways, the really great thing about the 410 Project is. Often, there's two dangers for us as Christian people. We underestimate our gifts. Oh, I couldn't do that. And yet, there's many people around us who see how much they have benefited and they can encourage us in something that we're not confident in. And the other danger, the converse danger, is to overestimate our gift. Well, I've got tremendous capacity and competency out in the world, so therefore it must be a gift in the church. Well, no. It's the danger of underestimation or overestimation. That's the beautiful thing about us discussing our gifts together as a church. It's the church who realises and recognises the gifts. Lastly, we see that there are some really practical applications for us expressing our gifts in a church. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In that amazing chapter, Ephesians chapter 2, we are saved by grace. 
But in verse 10 of chapter 2, we have this work before us, this good work which God has prepared, which God has already worked out. The wonderful thing as we started in this sermon is that we've been saved. But we haven't just been saved, in fact, we're being remade. In fact, we're being handcrafted by God himself. And so just as God created us, and just as he saved us, in both those moments, he's shaping and forming us to do these good works, which the book of Ephesians speaks about. And so we have this wonderful privilege of knowing that God's at work in us, and that each one of us are different. And so if that is true, do you know what? There are things in our church that only you can do. You may be the best person in our church to reach a particular group or person. There are some things that can only be done by you. And so this is a wonderful thing to realise, that everyone has a contribution to make, not because we want everyone to feel included, well, we do, but, more importantly, because God has shaped and formed every single Christian person for the purpose and the edification of his people. And so, as we exercise our gifts, we're actually finding our meaning in life. We're finding our mission in life. See, the gifts of God are not simply jobs to do. There are some jobs to do that require gifts. But the gifts of God have this wonderful relational quality. And we have the privilege of God's people of exercising those gifts. There are certain things that only you can do in our church. Only you. I'm sure of that. There are certain things that only you can do. And by God's providence, he's brought you to our church. And so what you have to offer is what we need. And God doesn't waste people. I've noticed as I've assembled a couple of Ikea furniture items recently. They give uh, the little components in abundance. You're never left short of screws or brackets these days. You've always got three or four, perhaps five leftover screws or brackets. Now maybe that's because I just don't put it together well enough, but I'm pretty sure the case is that I am and they give more than what you need. Well, This is like our God. He gives us more than what we need. He knows exactly what we need. And he gives us more than what we need. I'll come back uh, to some of the problems perhaps next week. But I want to finally finish in this way. One of the key sections in the book of 1 Corinthians is that section about love that's read in chapter 13. Do you know what Paul speaks of in the chapter before and of in the chapter after? Guess what he speaks of? He speaks of gifts. And here in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul returns to love. And in this in the context of how he's speaking about gifts and the necessity of gifts, 
He also says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. He picks it up again in verse 16. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You notice in those verses that love, not talent, but love is that lubrication within the church and within God's people that allows these gifts to flourish. How do we get that love? Well, I want you to have a look at verse 7, and I'll finish here. Verse 7 says, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now normally what we do is we just skip the next couple of verses because we don't know what they're talking about. We pick it up at verse 10 or 11. Do you know what Paul is saying here? He's saying that in ancient times, if there was a king who ruled over a city, an enemy was coming, what the king would do is he would lead the city out into battle. He would defend the city. He would go out and invade. He would protect his people. And if he won, he'd deliver his people from the potential oppression and captivity. And he would return triumphantly. He'd return and he'd head back to his throne. He would ascend up to his throne and sit down in the presence of his people. And he would take the spoils of that victory that he had won against those who would come against his city, he would take those spoils and he would give them. He would distribute them to his people. And so Paul quotes this great psalm, which was read for us earlier, Psalm 68, where the context is that of a conquering king. And they go out and the the conquering king who goes out to save his people, to sit down in their presence and then to give gifts. And this king that the psalmist is talking about is King David, where he brought the presence of the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God with his people. He brought that in to the people of God, into Jerusalem, up to Mount Zion. And the reason this whole psalm is celebrating it is because this psalm reminds us, although David is king, God is the ultimate king. And this psalm celebrates the end of those who would oppress God's people because God had brought them out of the slavery of Egypt and he brought them into the promised land, the land of milk and honey. He defeated Pharaoh and now God in Psalm 68 is finally ascending his throne and he's present through the ark in the middle of our Holy of Holies. He's present with his people. But what Paul does is he takes the way the psalmist has written this psalm, and he twists it. He turns it. And he turns it to focus on the Lord Jesus and what he has done. He reads the psalm about David bringing the ark into the presence of God and him ascending to give the gift of his presence. Paul realises that in the Lord Jesus, God was not done with King David. God the king had an even bigger enemy to defeat sin, Satan and death and God the king 
in the Lord Jesus has come to dwell in the midst of his people better than the ark could ever. And he has given better gifts, better spiritual gifts. When God gave gifts to his people in the Old Testament, they were for the building of the tabernacle. Paul realises that God has given gifts, better spiritual gifts, but for the building of his church. And here's how he did it. Ephesians 4, Jesus Christ descended. He descended from heaven to earth. He descended from glory and honour to abuse and rejection. He was destroyed. He was humiliated. He descended. And that's what he did when he went to the cross on our behalf because he was defeating the enemy that would come at us. He was defeating our ultimate enemy, sin, Satan, and death. The Ark of the Covenant was a box, but it was more than a box. It was a box which represented the presence of God. When the Lord Jesus died, when he took our sins, he cleared the way so that God himself could be present amongst us, so that we could receive the ultimate spiritual gift, the Holy Spirit himself. See, this is what God has done for us. This is how he has loved us. This is how he showed us mercy. And when we realise that, when we realise that God has come to dwell amongst us through his spirit, by the Lord Jesus, we can, motivated by love for one another, see the richness of the gifts that God has given us, those same spiritual gifts, and we can use them for the edification of his people. Let's pray that we might do that. Amen. Please stand as we sing.